anybody who follows me on social media, on the Twitter, at Austin Titchener, or on Instagram, at the.shakespeareans, will know that I'm currently directing a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream for the Starling Shakespeare Company. And I am thrilled today to talk to not only two of my cast members, but my two bosses, <laughs> Aaron Kennedy and Jesse Lillis, the co-artistic directors of the Starling Shakespeare Company, uh, ladies, thank you for hiring me, first of all. Oh, you're so very thank welcome. Thank you for joining thank us. Thank you for being here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 814, Starling Shakespeare Company. Aaron Kennedy and Jesse Lillis are the artistic directors of Starling Shakespeare Company, which this summer is touring Macbeth and A Midsummer Night's Dream in 10 cities across six states, ending with a month-long residency in August on Mackinac Island in Michigan. Heron and Jesse are both recent MFA grads of Mary Baldwin University in Stanton, Virginia, and I'm directing both of them in Midsummer, along with three other actors, Tyler Haggard, Kat Quinones, and Ryan Wilson. And this weekend, we took a quick break to talk about the origins of Starling Shakespeare, the plans for its future, and what's exciting and rewarding and challenging about directing and performing Shakespeare with only five people. Yeah, we met in grad school in 2017. We worked together over the next three years. Uh, we graduated with our MFAs in 2020, which was a very cool time to be making theater. Um, huh. You all might remember what huh. that was like. Um, so we spent a little bit of time being um, deeply sad. So sad. And not knowing what to do. And then we said, well, uh, I guess no time like the present. We might as well start the company we've been talking about. Um, so we just kind of decided to, and then we did. So let's go back. The <laughs> company we had been talking about, mm -hmm. I've, t I've talked to another friend of mine who is a Mary Baldwin grad who says that there is something about the MBU training program that encourages this sort of institutional thinking. How long had you been talking about this, and why did you never think, God, this is a stupid idea? More importantly, <laughs> why did your parents never think, God, this is a stupid idea? Well, um, we... It's true. The Mary Baldwin program certainly does uh, instill in you this kind of the, the skills necessary to start a company. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a company model for the MFA year where everybody bands together and you do all of the casting and promoting and fundraising and acting and all of that. You basically um, get a trial run at starting a company with the support of an academic institution. Mm -hmm. So the cool thing is that you can't fail. Right. Um, so you get to try stuff out and see what works and what doesn't. Um, and it, it sets you up pretty well to if that is something you're interested in doing, and for me, that was the reason I went to the program in the first place, was because they had this company model and I wanted to start one. Um, you get to sort of test the waters and see, like, does this work? Do I want to do this? Um, is this an insane idea? <laughs> and kind of yeah. decide, you know, on, on the fly while you're doing it. Um, yeah, it's true. And we had a very small company that year. It was uh, one of the smallest classes, if not the, the smallest. smallest. Yeah, yeah eight of us. the smallest um, MFA company to date, and it was eight people. So uh, we got used to working with a small number of people, and kind of everybody does everything all the time. Um, I admittedly went into the program not wanting to start a company. That was sort of like, well, it'll be good to know those skills, but I really came here because it's um, very, it's both academic and performance-based, and I wanted both. Um, 
But and then I did peer pressure on her. It's true. It's true. <laughs> no, the more we worked together and honestly, the more, you know, of the company stuff we did during that year, um, the more I realized, hey, I maybe sort of like having a say in how things go, it turns out. Um, you you, you want to be an actor taking back the night, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Not and waiting around. No, it's true. And I mean, you, you do see uh, that 2020 was a big year for looking at kind of um, institutional issues in theater. Uh, a lot of disillusionment happening, especially for young artists, especially for young women. Um, so, yeah, we, we had started talking about starting a company probably by the end of the MFA year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sure. And then, I mean, as the summer was going on, we're, we're sort of seeing how long it seems like this thing that we're still in now, two years later, is going to go on. And, mm-hmm. and it, it was hard not to get really discouraged seeing theaters that, you know, we had plans, you know, I'm going to go audition for this place, I'm going to mm-hmm. go do that. Um, and then, you know, theaters that had to close, unfortunately, and, mm-hmm. and looking at, you know, what are the reasons for that? How did they get in the situations that they're in? What could we do to try to, you know, set ourselves up for the next inevitable catastrophe? Right. Um, and so we started talking about, you know, touring models and um, small cast sizes, especially mm-hmm. since at that time um, we were all doing COVID bubbles, so you couldn't have more than 10 people together. Right. It's like, well, how do you do Shakespeare with no more than 10 people? Mm-hmm. You make it less than 10 people. Yeah, um, we really had to focus on um, low overhead and um, outdoor spaces. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. Now, of course, um, we're able to perform indoor more frequently, but at the beginning it was, well, okay, mm-hmm. if, if what we have to do is only perform outside, well, then that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that first year was really focused on that. What I, I love that at MBU you were in the smallest class of eight people <laughs> and you said, hold my beer. <laughs> Let's do this with just five people. How did you settle on five? Is that... Uh, is that just born of necessity, or is that a company policy for the moment? Five people is a good number to tour with. Uh, five is not three, but five is a magic number. It's that... in one car. Yeah, it's, right. Okay. Um, I mean, these are there, there are practical issues, but, and are are there also uh, creative reasons that you like a small number of actors? Yeah, definitely. Um, and we have to give credit where it's due. One of our professors at MBU um, is Matt Davis, who is a, a member of the. Um, Actors from the London stage, Um, they do five-person shows, and so that's a style, the sort of um, small-scale, extreme casting, people, you know, playing multiple roles in one scene, having conversations with themselves. That's a style that he brought into the program, Um, and we, that's part of what you do in the MFA year, so I directed a four-person Tempest with Heron in it, um, because we didn't have enough people to have five-person shows, so (laughs) our year had, normally it's about five people per show. Um, ours was a three-person Macbeth and a four-person Tempest. Um, you can do it with fewer than five, but I, I think um, five gives you enough to sort of play and, and not be... So constricted? Yeah, yeah. There were times... I mean, I loved working on that Tempest, but there were times where it was like, gosh, imagine what we could do if one we more. had five people. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Imagine how we could have you know reconfigured the casting and not you know keep this person in or change that or do whatever. Um, and so I think five is a really nice number for that. Um it's enough to have a lot of creativity and a lot of ideas in the room, but not so many that you're like, okay, we don't we don't need 17 cooks yeah, here right now. I love that Actors from the London Stage is an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, Actors from the London Stage is specifically actor-driven with no director. Yes. Mm-hmm. You guys have just changed that for Starling. Mm-hmm. You are... I mean, you two are classic actor managers in the in the way that Shakespeare and Richard Burbage were. But 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 you decided to hire directors. Why did you do that? Um, I mean, a number of reasons. I one of which is um, we wanted to work with lots of people, mm. um, and 
as much as Jesse is a phenomenal director, um, Ryan, oh, who's been a company, a company member since last year, since our, our first year, is also a phenomenal director. Um, I'm not. <laughs> That's not my thing. Um, it, it seemed like we wanted to not stretch ourselves too, too thin in that way, um, especially with Jesse and I having to do all of the admin stuff um, and, you know, everything else pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so having outside eyes to kind of shape this thing has, has proved really helpful. I think there's also a level of uh, kind of recognition and acknowledgement. Like we're a, we're a young company, absolutely. Um, and I think that bringing in directors is a really good way to get new ideas and to kind of foster the spirit of creativity and seeing you know what are if we have a mix of younger artists and more experienced artists and people from kind of all walks of life. I think it's a good way to find interesting common ground across yeah. all of them, come up with n- new ways to do things and kind of learn while we're doing that as well. Absolutely. I mean, our, our degrees are over, but we are very much still learning through mm-hmm. this process. So. I don't think one ever stops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, well, and yes, and so you clearly thought to yourself, we need someone old and wizened <laughs> to come in and help us this summer. And there was only one man. <laughs> one man <laughs> and he said no, so we called Austin. <laughs> Michael Whitmore, director of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C., and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? The Reduced Shakespeare Company will return to touring this fall of 2022, performing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel in Rolla, Missouri on September 21st, Bloomington, Illinois on September 23rd, Jasper, Indiana on September 25th, and the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan on November 9th and 10th. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for more information. Now back to my conversation with Heron Kennedy and Jesse Lillis, the artistic directors of Starling Shakespeare Company. Talk to me a little bit about uh, season choice, because this is season two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things, uh, kind of looping back to the director question, one of the things that we have done for both of these years um, is thinking about the shows that we're selecting as well as the people that we're attaching to direct those shows. Mm. Um, we want to have things that contrast. So, you know, audiences get a little bit of something different from each one so that all the actors have something different to sort of play with and, and stretch muscles in, in each show differently. Um, and I think having people at the helm of those ships that have really different, um, styles and ideas about the plays is a cool way to do that. Um, last year we did Much Ado About Nothing and Romeo and Juliet, and they were two wildly different shows as well. Mm. Um, this year I think they're even more so, uh, yeah. very different, um, but I think it's a cool way to kind of create that contrast um, mm-hmm. so that it's not like, oh, well, I saw this show and then I saw the next one and it felt like the same thing. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we have, at least for these first couple of years, tried to link the shows thematically, um, even though they are pretty disparate as far as how the productions shape out. Yeah. Um, so Romeo and Juliet, I mean, and Much Ado About Nothing, there's so many threads there that one can connect we could go on about that forever um now we're sort of having the magic summer of course oh sure you know these very different sides nighttime and magic magic. yeah exactly (laughs) nighttime and magic and woods um so we do have uh the thematic links but yeah having different shows and then as far as this year's directors i mean right reduce shakespeare company and much do and the midsummer night's dream 
seems to make a lot of sense, right? Match made in heaven. Absolutely. Comedy heaven, yes. Absolutely. And then Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Kearns for Macbeth, he's a fight guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really wanted somebody that could uh, make the violence in Macbeth work for storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. And he was really adamant about, he doesn't want it to be a play about people switching hats. Yeah. So that was mm-hmm. his one of his main goals there, for sure. And it's cool to see all the different ways that these you can manifest this. I think it's, even in my experience, when I think, oh, five-person Shakespeare, there are some ideas that I have about that, but mm-hmm. I think these two shows especially show that it can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. You can make it a completely different vision um, from, from what another five-person show might be. These are far less similar to um, Actress from the London Stage than mm-hmm. our, our last year's shows were as well. Sure. Um, how, what, how so? Well, um, um, there's no uh, extreme casting in these shows, by which, um, I forget who coined that term, um, but basically, like, people talking to themselves in scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, last year in Much Do About Nothing, there was one scene that was just me, and one side of my face had half a mustache, and the other side didn't, and I just literally flip-flopped back and forth. Cool. Um, and that's super fun, and it's, you know, allows you to problem-solve creatively and all of that, but it's it's not the only option for yeah. a small cast show. Yeah. Um, and I think... I mean, I think it's working great for Midsummer not having that. I also think for Macbeth, um, keeping it a little straighter is useful for kind of getting into the tragedy of it. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we certainly found it with Romeo and Juliet last year. There were moments where it was so useful to yes. have the ability to put in a little levity with someone literally switching a hat and becoming a different person, and other times where you don't want any levity and mm-hmm. yet I must become someone else and somehow make this not comical. And it's, it's possible, but it's Absolutely. just a different set of challenges. I think Yeah. Um, part of the fun of five actors playing multiple roles and the contrast of Macbeth and Midsummer this summer is, is for those audience members who can see both of your shows, you'll, you will, they'll see you not just wearing whatever five hats for Macbeth. They'll see 10 or 12 or 14 hats when they see both shows. So it becomes a real showcase for actors and less so, in my mind, less so for director, which is again, fine with me because there's something, there is something uh, pure and original and theatrical about having it be actor driven and I do think that the value of a director is just keeping the focus where it needs to be, yes. which actors some con- sometimes can't get themselves. It's true. I mean, and I, I know we talked about this when we were first talking about doing Midsummer with you, um, that we do like to have a rehearsal room where actors are uh, you know, essential to the ideas being formed in the room, that their voices are being heard. So there isn't a, certainly an element of actor-driven. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, something that we from the the first time we started talking about building this company was that, you know, as we're imagining rooms, we're, we're remembering rooms that we've been in in the past and imagining what future rooms would look like, we wanted them to be collaborative. We wanted them mm-hmm. to be a place where everyone's bringing ideas and everyone's ideas are welcomed and finding ways to, you know, um, always say yes and try the thing out. And then if it doesn't work, then we'll find out, but not, not shutting those ideas down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, our auditioning process, admittedly, a lot of that is is looking for that quality in a person that yes. they're going to be collaborative and bringing ideas and willing to throw spaghetti and see what happens. Um, so both for actors and directors, trying to find people that kind of have that spirit of generosity and creativity mm-hmm. um, so that we can have a room where it's it's fun, it's welcoming, it's playful, um, it's, it's not, you know, shutting down options. And I think that um, sense of play and uh, kind of... Sp- spaghetti throwing allows for the kind of range that is necessary for these two very different shows. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I think that audiences will probably get a kick out of seeing some of these transformations. I mean, just to be totally transparent, one of my favorites is people who come see Macbeth and see Ryan play, you know, the Tyrant King, and then they get to see him play Peas Blossom in Midsummer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just delightful. And Peter Quince. And yes. Peter oh, Quince. Yeah. yeah. How could yeah. we forget? How could we forget? <laughs> Lest we forget Peter Quince, he will not let us forget. Um, <laughs> so right now, you're a small company. You know, uh, uh, you're, you're scrappy. You're like this country. You're young, scrappy, and hungry. And uh, um, and you're in your second year, and it's a non-equity company, but you are paying everybody. What? Uh, where does Starling Shakespeare go from here? What is the dream? You have you clearly have uh, uh, support um, um, in terms of uh, financial donors. Um, where do we go from here with Starling? That's a really good question. Thank you. Um, we have spent a lot of time talking about this, and I think... Um, it's one of those things where you're, you get so excited about what we're going to do next. But it's like, well, let's do the thing in the present too. Yeah, let's focus <laughs> let's on be here. here. Um, but I, uh, so we started out. Our first big project was um, a month-long festival on Mackinac Island out in Michigan, which admittedly is something that I was kicking around for about ten years. I think that's the first thing I told Heron about when I met her in grad school. I think it is. <laughs> um, so that was that was something that's been cooking for a while. Um, but as we're looking forward, we've been thinking about you know what are ways to expand that. Um, in our second year, we added two weeks of touring beforehand, so we're already kind of on a, on a little bit of a growth trajectory. Um, but I think something that is really important to both of us, um, and we found this to be true from the beginning, is that um, we can have a lot of plans and we can have a lot of ideas of what we're going to do, and then sometimes other things will happen and you will have mm -hmm. to pivot. So I think having these ideas and having plans, but then also being able to say, okay, well, maybe not that, because now this other thing has shown up. Um, so we have a variety of sort of potential trajectories. We'll probably do none of them exactly to a T. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, right, right. But, you know, we've talked about having more festivals in places like Mackinac Island across the country. Vacation-y um, places. Vacation-y type places. Um, possibly doing, you know, summer things up north win uh, and winter things down south. Mm. Um, it, it turns out now we're also expanding our education offerings quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so right now we have a partnership with the Woodstock Academy, where we are staying right now. Um, big shout out to them. Thank you so much. Um, and before we came here for the summer, we were able to come up for a week and mm -hmm. um, just teach all week and do run workshops and meet kids and teachers and kind of work together yeah. with them. Um, and we're certainly finding that that is going to be a lot of our fall and winter is those mm -hmm. kind of educational residencies. Especially now that um, COVID is obviously still heavily in play, but, um, over the spring we had more places that were starting to allow guest artists to come in, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding ways to do that either virtually or in person safely. Um, that's something we've always talked about, but the first, you know, year and a half was not accessible. Um, mm -hmm. and then when it started to look like, okay, well maybe we can visit places. That's certainly something we want to do. We're both, um, we're both the children of teachers. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. so it's in our blood as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of the things we did in our uh, master's program as well was about education and mm -hmm. pedagogy. So including some of that in our future work, I think is going to be big for us too. Absolutely. Is the goal to complete the canon? I, I mean, I kind of think we gotta, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like you have to. And, and you know, there'll be some, I love the weird ones too. So, there. I mean, you know. we'll have to do time in of Athens. Well, we'll. That's, that's true. <laughs> you could do, you could do it as a cooking show, but I think it's been done. <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. The Starling Shakespeare Company production of A Midsummer Night's Dream opens this Saturday night, July 16th, 2022, in Rotary Park in Putnam, Connecticut. Then this Sunday, July 17th, 
Midsummer plays in rep with Macbeth, directed by Benjamin Kearns, in New York City at Historic Convent in Hudson Yards, before both shows tour off to Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Michigan before spending the month of August performing both shows in rep on Mackinac Island. Go to StarlingShakespeareCompany.com for more information and follow them on Instagram at StarlingShakespeareCompany. Then send us your five-year plan via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. Thanks as always to Jealous Fairy Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Stacy Crossley, no reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Michael Whitmore, director of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 814 2442nds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Uh, well, this is great. It's very exciting. I love, I love stories of... Um, uh, college buddies who started theater company <laughs> and then continue on. So my final and stay friends. <laughs> at, yes, really good, really good point. Um, so good luck with that. Uh, and <laughs> Thank I'll, you. And I'll only just ask finally, you know, as your director, when are you going to learn your goddamn lines? <laughs> Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. <laughs> ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less.